How you doing, church? Yeah. Here, I, a little, little participation. Wait, first, fellows at RCMU, we're glad you're here. If you're listening online, we're glad you're here. We need some participation. So right now, I want you to find somebody just that you're going to say something to. You got it? Just figure it out. Who, I mean, whether you know them or not, it doesn't matter. Here's what you want to say. Okay. I want, here's what you want to say. You're going to say this out loud to them. Are you ready? Okay. So here's what you say to them right now here in a moment. Do you know? Say it. This church, this church has, a has a Saturday service. You like how I did that? Came up with that on my own. Uh, if you don't know, we have two Saturday services. One at 4 p.m., 6 p.m. All those people that came on Saturday, they're today going, What's the, I don't get the big deal about losing an hour today. They're all, in fact, they're probably all still sleeping right now. So just so you know, if you didn't know that, and I know some of you work and you can't go to Saturday, you're like, oh, you hate, no, no, listen, if you want to, there's space. If you don't like sitting shoulder to shoulder to somebody, there's space. It's Saturday's awesome, same stuff. We have children's ministry. We have everything that is normally on Sundays is also on Saturdays. You're welcome. You should participate. You'll love it. And you have space and parking. It's awesome. So, but now you've said it with your mouth. You now know that we have a Saturday service because you said it. I didn't say it. You said it. All right. We're starting a new series. A new series called I Love My Church. So by the way, I love my church. And I know some of you are brand new and you're like, hmm, is this a cult? <laughs> now, let me, let me help you understand. A, a cult is when you're a part of something, but you actually don't know why you're a part of it, but you're very loyal to it. So, so listen, what we are as a church is important, so we're doing something we do all the time. In fact, every year we repeat uh, the study of a part of the Bible. So that's what I'm going to do. Some of you have been here a long time. You've heard the, the bits and pieces of what I'm going to share with you, but it's refreshed, and I've got some new things to tell you. But we're going to talk about what church should be about. Now, I know some of you grew up in church, and you're like, oh, David, I know what church is about. I know why church is established. It's to sing hymns and hear a preacher preach in a suit. So if you think that, I know that I'll never see you again probably, uh, but listen, church is not about a method. Church is not about how we sing, what we sing. It's not about style. It's not about a building. Church is so much deeper. When Jesus said, I want my church to look like this, he gave us a map to understand it. But over the years, the church is guilty of getting away from it. And in fact, nowadays, a lot of us go looking for a church based on what we want, not what Jesus wants. And we refuse to be a church that hinges on, leans on, depends on anyone's preferences. Some of you are like, yay, and some of you are like, I know, and I hate it. Listen, listen, listen. We are gonna be a church that Jesus said, this is what I want the church to be about. So this requires, because you and I are human and fallible, we all have issues, so you and I have got to re-examine what the church is about on a regular basis. So the series, I Love My Church. We're gonna go through a passage, a part of the Bible, it's in Luke 15. It's in the second part of your Bible. If you stick your thumbs in the middle of your Bible, you can open up and go to the right. You can find Luke 15. If you don't want to look up anything on your phone or your tablet or your Bible, you can just continue to look at me or look on the screens, and you'll eventually see the verses that I'm going to read to you, which most of you are looking at me like that's what you're going to do. I'm going to read you a story that Jesus told. Jesus made up the story but the story has a great deal of purpose and I believe was intended for the church to hear and apply. 
So no longer does the church have to be confusing why we gather together, what we do. No longer does it have to be confusing. I'm going to tell you what it's all about. So let me start from the beginning, though. It involves a story. When I grew up, I still am, actually, so as I've been growing up, uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm a pastor, by the way, to resolve any confusion. I'm a pastor, but I grew up in a pastor's home. I'm a fourth-generation pastor in a row. Can you imagine what it's like when our family gets together? You're like, do you guys have any fun? I mean, what do pastors do for fun? Uh, So I grew up in that kind of a home, but to complicate things is I went to a Christian school, and the the church that my dad was pastor of ran the school. So everyone knew, as I grew up in school, that I was the pastor's son. To make things even worse, and yes, it was worse, my mom taught at the school that I went to. So can you understand the microscope that I grew up around to where everyone thought because my mom was a teacher that I was supposed to be super smart and because my dad was pastor, I'm supposed to be super perfect. Combined, it's a horrible childhood. (laughs) Horrible. Not because any pressure that my parents put on me, by the way. I'll never forget my parents raising me and saying, David, you can do whatever you want to do. But my friends and the people around me and the teachers and the adults around me constantly said, David, your dad's the pastor. You shouldn't do that. Uh, Your mom's a teacher. You should know that. And it began to affect me. In fact, I felt like I wasn't accepted unless I did certain things or behaved in certain ways. So my first reaction in elementary school was to go the opposite direction. Oh, you think I shouldn't do this because my dad's pastor? Oh, well, let me show you bad. (laughs) And some of you know preacher's kids, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, preacher's kids are crazy. No, we're not. Just listen. And so I spent my elementary years really getting to know the principal of my school. Not on purpose, but that's what happened. I spent a lot of time in the principal's office with another kid in the other chair, always apologizing to whoever that was and whatever I had done. There were teachers, and I do not exaggerate. I believe it was my second grade teacher that quit after I was done with second grade. It was bad. Because I was trying to like, well, if you're not going to accept me, then I'm going to reject you. See, some of you do this right now. You're rebelling against others because you don't think they're going to accept you. So you, to save yourself some pain, reject people. Well, that didn't work out for me. I wanted friends. I didn't want to be ostracized. And I wanted to be accepted. So when we moved, when I was going into sixth grade, I changed my strategy. And rather than rebelling against everything everyone expected of me, I said, I want to be accepted. So I started to overachieve. Some of you are doing this right now. Trying to overachieve at work or at home or in sports at school so that people will accept you. So that's what I tried to do. I, got, I tried to be good at grades. That didn't work out so well. So I went to sports. I was like, I can do well at sports. And I, so every time I played a game, every time I practiced, my motivation was this. To be good enough for people to accept me. In fact, that was a driving force in my life. I got done with the game and I could have cared less if we won or lost. It was all about did I play well enough for people to let me belong. And nowadays it's very common in culture. For us, you don't say this to anybody. In fact, you think you might be the only one that feels this way, but you crave being accepted by other people. If you're a boss, I know what you wonder. Do your employees like you? If you're a spouse, sometimes you wonder if the other spouse likes you. Some of you who have kids wonder if your kids think you're a good parent. 
For those of you in school right now, you wonder if the certain friends or groups that you want to be a part of will accept you. Here's the problem. The same thing has leaked into church for years to where people don't go to church because we have shown over years that we don't accept everybody. And in fact, in a group this size, there are some of you right now trying out church for the very first time and you are very afraid about how everyone else in the room is gonna treat you. Some of you wonder, do they know where I was last night? Do they know what I did last week? Did I dress okay to go to this church? Have I done what I was supposed to during the singing time? And we're afraid to not be accepted amongst a group of people. And Jesus, listen to this, never intended the church to be a selective group of people where only certain people based on behavior are welcome. We choose as a church to let everybody, anybody, from wherever you come from, whatever you've done, whatever you look like, you are welcome in this place. Now, we'll see if you clap through the whole sermon, but, but. <laughs> in fact, I've got friends who would say this. I've told you this before. Many people have rejected who Jesus is because of what the church wasn't. You've got people that you probably work with, go to school with, live with. Like, I'm not going to church. Now, I don't have a problem with God, but those church people, they're hypocritical, they're judgmental, they're anti this, 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 and this, so I don't want to be a part of that. In fact, if I'll give you full disclosure, one of the most popular questions I get when I am out and about throughout Rapid City in the region, and by the way, I do leave the building. Some of you are surprised when you see me at Target. You're like, you get out. <laughs> I do. But you know, you know the number one question I get? I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not overgeneralizing. The number one question is people asking me permission if they can come. David, I'm gay, can I go to your church? David, I just went through a nasty divorce, a lot of people know about it. Can I go to Fountain Springs? David, I didn't grow up in church, I don't know what to do. Uh, can I come to your church, is that allowed? Now, now, I'm not putting that on your shoulders. I don't think that's your fault. I don't think that's my fault. I think that's just the capital C church's fault, that we have portrayed, if you watch the news, if you watch uh, enough TV or read enough articles, it talks about how the church is declining and, and people are like, the church is, is judgmental and hypocritical and I'm gonna tell you right now, confess, yes, there are hypocrites and judgmental people in the church. There are also, that is not included in the articles, judgmental, hypocritical people outside of the church. So yes, we are imperfect. If you're brand new today, I'm gonna own it, profess it, I promise you, we will make you unhappy at some point. We're not perfect. We don't have everything put together all nice and neat. And, but we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He's the son of God, died for us. And he said, here's what my church needs to be like, look like. And so you and I must go through this. Uh, one of the greatest statements and descriptions of the church is this. It's not mine. Listen to this. The church is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. That's Church. It's not about what you wear, what you look like, what you did, where you came from. It's one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. 
Jesus established the church. He talks about the church. He builds the church. He says, here's the deal. Go tell people about me. He doesn't say, only the people that will listen, only the people that agree with you. Oh, no, 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 no. He just says, go tell people. Everybody. In fact, in fact, he even laid it out like everyone all over the world. Go tell people. But over the years, the church kind of got selective, didn't we? We're like, well, I want to be around, I want to be in circles of people that I, where we believe the same thing, or do the same stuff, or like the same kind of music, or do this or that, no way. This church, our methods will change over the next 20, 30, 40 years. I tell Pastor Corey, who's in charge of the creative parts, the music of this church, I always tell him, I was like, I hope I hate the music in about 10, 15 years. And I'm being serious. I hope I just sit in my seat and go, please get the music done, please get the music done, please get the music done. Because I want to continually be a church that reaches 20 and 30-somethings for the rest of the life until Jesus comes back, and that means music will have to change. Right now, I love it. It's sweet. But some of you are like, yeah, David, I hate it. I get it. Don't worry about it. But we're about showing people unconditional love, not about the methods. So let me tell you this story. The story isn't found in Luke 15. Jesus unfolds a story. It's important for you to understand the parameters of a story told by Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, don't miss that part. Jesus, unlimited power, almighty, all-knowing. Listen, when he tells a story, every word means something. He's making the story up. He's making the story up for you and I to take that story and apply that story. So when you read a story that Jesus tells, you need to own the words and say, I'm listening up, very super attentive. Every single word means something. I'm gonna hang on this. I'm gonna own this. So here's a story that Jesus told. Here's how it goes. Luke 15, start with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, you didn't just do this, but here's what would have happened in that culture. If Jesus is telling a group of people in that culture this story, saying, hey, a son went to his dad and said, I want my inheritance and I want it right now. They would have been like, no, he didn't. I can't believe he just said that. He just said that out loud. So you and I don't get the full power and harshness of what just happened. It would have been like me bringing on a father and a son here on stage and the son going up to the father and smacking him in the face and then walking off stage. That's how much shame and dishonor this son brings his father. So when Jesus tells a story, he's using it for shock effect. You're like, does Jesus tell things that he knows are just for shock effect? Yes, this is one of those where he says, hey, a son went to his dad, says, I want my inheritance, I want it now, and it gets worse though. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, including the inheritance, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Uh, if you don't understand the, what's going on, he began, he took all the money, he took all his inheritance, went and wasted it on wild living. You and I have our own personal stories of what wild living means. He went and wasted every bit of it, found himself homeless, no money whatsoever. Now here's what's cool about this, a little lesson right here in scripture that Jesus said, the famine. See, many of us have our own stories of when we got off track, let's just call it off track, <laughs> when we went a different direction, that we knew that God didn't want us to go in, but we went that direction. Never do we go the wrong direction expecting a famine on the other side. So let me just warn some of you. Listen, if you're considering something like cheating on your spouse, wasting your life, 
stealing, speaking about somebody in a gossip kind of a way. Listen, there's a famine awaiting you. Be careful. You may wonder at the moment of your darkness and the moment of your depth of despair and the moment of being completely broken, why did God leave you? He didn't leave you. He already told you all throughout Scripture. Do what I tell you to do. I think it's so powerful that Jesus mentions this thing about real life, there's famines in real life. Every one of us would agree, yeah, there's famines in life. Some of you right now, you're going through it. It's just powerful that Jesus warns us about famines. But here's what's interesting. If you read the rest of the story, how it begins to unfold, this this kid, Jesus tells the story how he slaps his dad in the face, basically, uh, walks off, spends all the money, wastes it, is completely poor, homeless, no money. He finds himself so hungry that he's feeding pigs, that's his job. He's feeding pigs, he's just watching the pigs get fed to it, and he's looking at what they're eating going, that looks pretty good. Now I know there, there may not be a lot of pig farmers in our church, listen, listen. But if you ever look up in the dictionary, I wonder what pigs eat. Here's what I think you'll find in the dictionary, the word everything. Let me just tell you a little bit about farming. By the way, pigs are wonderful. I mean bacon. I mean, like, really? Pig? Bacon? Are you on, we on the same track? Bacon? You know bacon you can eat for any meal. You don't even need a meal to be able to eat bacon. It can be three in the afternoon, and you're like, I want some bacon. Here, let me help you, by the way. Some of you have misguided. You're cooking turkey bacon at home. <laughs> Do you know that every time you cook turkey bacon, an angel loses its wings? <laughs> I just want you to know that. I can't prove that. I can't prove it. I can't prove it. But I'm confident that uh, turkeys were never designed to be any part of bacon. So stop it. Pigs are awesome. Bacon, country ham, I mean like the thick stuff. Am I helping you right now? You're, help. You're glad you came today. Barbecue ribs. Whew. I just need a minute. Pigs are awesome. They smell. They'll eat anything, but the reason they eat anything is so that you and I can enjoy bacon. That's their purpose. Now, this kid is so hungry, so destitute, so in this horrible moment, he's seen what the pigs eat going, that looks pretty good. You gotta see that this is a horrible moment. Jesus is painting a picture going, this kid made choices, he disgraced his family, dishonored them, and he now finds himself in the lowest part. To this people that would have been hurting this, pigs were, were unclean animals to them. They didn't eat those animals, they, didn't, they weren't a part of that. This is a horrible moment that he's being try, he's trying to describe. He's lost it, so he comes to a conclusion. Here's the conclusion. The only place I can go, I'm like, I gotta see. I, no one else will accept me. I got no money. I got nowhere to go. I gotta see if someone that I'm related to, someone that I love, my family, I'm gonna see if they'll let me come back home. Some of you have been here, right? You've been at such the low in your life, the only place you had to go, the only option was to perhaps call a family member and say, can I come home? Same, same, same resolution. Here's what he comes to. So he resolves this, verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Can you imagine being such a low point in your life that you gotta call mom and dad up and be like, hey, I'll move back, but you don't have to call me son anymore or daughter. I'll work for you. I'll clean the house for you. 
I'll take care of all the other things that you want to be taken. I'll be your servant. Can you imagine that kind of despair? That's where he's at. Jesus is telling us, this guy, this kid that went and, and dishonored his family, threw all the money away, wasted his horrible, all, everyone thinks he's a jerk. Everyone that's listening is going, oh, this guy's a jerk. Let's, let's, let's get rid of this guy. Listen, listen, Jesus is painting a picture. So you and I have people in our lives that feel like this guy. Well, that church will never accept me. The church won't let me in. So Jesus is painting the picture. This is so cool. We're about to discover our, one of our major core values as a church. Here we go. Luke 20. So he got up and went to his father. Watch this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. See, very rarely have any of us ever experienced that. Every one of us has wronged somebody at some point in our life. And typically when you wrong somebody, when they first see you the next time, they don't run to you and put their arms around you and say, I love you so much and have compassion. Make this real life. This is not just some Bible story that doesn't relate. This is real. You and I rarely experience such a thing. But Jesus is telling us something on purpose. It's fascinating. You imagine this kid. He's kind of walked this whole conversation through his head. I don't know if you've ever prepared for a job interview or maybe you're about to confront somebody. You're about to have this conversation with someone so you mull it all around in your head. You're like, okay, here's what I'm gonna say and then they're gonna say this back to me and this is how this is gonna go. And any of you have ever prepared for a conversation like that? It didn't go that way. <laughs> it never does. So you got this kid, he's ready. I'm gonna go back to dad. I'm just gonna say, hey, not dad anymore. Uh, I'll, I'll work for you. But Jesus flips the whole story, wrecks the whole group listen, and, and says, here's what happened, is that kid comes up over the hill, the dad sees him, which is profound, because the dad was looking for him for years. Listen, the church has stopped looking for people. The church gave up. The church no longer cared about anybody outside the house. That's wrong. You and I, our number one priority should be the people who, aren't on, who are not in this building. This is profound what Jesus is trying to teach us, if you're willing to learn. But what's so cool is so the father sees his son, and, and, and think of the different reactions. See, a lot of times we read the Bible like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> think about the different reactions. He sees his son, he could have been like, hey, Doris, come on out here. Look, guess who just showed up? By the way, his wife says Doris. I just made that up, but that's what it is. <laughs> you, could, you could just see like mom and dad standing on the porch going, I can't believe he had the guts to come back. That's one reaction churches do. Or it could have been like, hey, Doris, give me the switch. I'm gonna beat this boy. Again, her name's not really Doris. Just go with this. One reaction that many churches have done, they've seen them, and they said, go inside and close the door. But Jesus doesn't paint that picture. You know what Jesus could have said, and he wouldn't have been wrong, it would have been fine. He could have said, oh, and the dad saw his son and waited for his son to come to him. But he didn't. Jesus didn't say that. He could have said, the father saw his son and took a leisurely stroll to meet him halfway. No. Do you see who is given all the effort in this? The father. 
And what happens is Jesus lays this out, and he used words that aren't used in other places. He ran to his son. He ran to him. Listen, listen, listen. In this culture, the leader of the house did not run ever. It's why I don't run. I'm just, just being biblical. So the father never ran. They never hurried. In fact, here's, here, if you want to have a fun study, go try to find a place where Jesus hurried anywhere. He didn't. He didn't hurry. But all of a sudden, Jesus is telling a story. He puts it here, and he ran to the son. Why? Some of you might say, well, David, it's obvious. Father, son, he loved his son. He, he missed his son, so he just really anxiously wanted to, just to hug his son and say, hey, I love you. It was so good to see you. That sounds good. That's very movie-esque. That seems right, but that's not why Jesus said, and he ran to his son. I'll tell you why. Culturally speaking, that son shows his face anywhere around people he knows, they kill him. It's rules. That's what happens. See, when you disgraced your family in that culture, that meant you died. The punishment was death, or at best they would throw you in jail. So here's what the father knew. Oh, my son, he's in danger right now. And if I don't get to him, other people will. Perhaps you're seeing this story in a new light now. Jesus, on purpose, did not say he walked to his son, he waited for his son, he rejected his son. He said he ran to him. Question, church, who are you running to? Now, I know everyone applauds. Unconditional love, everyone's welcome here. As I told you, we wouldn't clap the whole service. Uh, yeah, yay, yeah, yeah, this is right. This church should be welcoming to everybody. I agree with you. You agree with me. Here's the question. Let me push it to your side of the table. So who have you been running to? Who have you been getting into the life of and investing in and helping them know who Jesus is? Or are you afraid of their opinion of you? Are you afraid to get fired? Are you afraid to not be accepted? See, this is where it gets really real. The father accepted the boy based on who he is, not what he had done. But most of us treat people based on what they've done not who they are. Jesus is interesting. If you read stories about Jesus, he seemed to have been drawn to the worst of the worst. Do you ever find that interesting? And Jesus wouldn't lead going, hey, I'm Jesus. Do you know the passage? Here? Now, he didn't open up his Bible with him. He would often say, hey, you want to go eat? That's why I love Jesus. He didn't have barbecue ribs, I know that, but but you often find it interesting that Jesus would engage people, not with a Bible. By the way, I'm not discounting the Bible. The Bible is awesome. It's God's word. We use it. It's the foundation. But listen, a lot of us beat people up with Bibles. We abuse people with Bibles. And that was never the intention of the Bible. Unconditional love. Let me help you with unconditional love. Let me, let me flip it. Love is conditional until you make it personal. Love will always be conditional 
until you make it personal. Some of you have offered love to somebody in your marriage or to your kids or family and friends, and, and it wasn't personal to you. You just offered it to them. There was no personal part about it, and it became conditional based on will that person do for you what you want done. Love is conditional until you make it personal. Here's what's so cool. I tell you that because God made his love for you and I personal. Watch this if you've never seen this. In Luke 15, I've been telling you a story about the lost son, the prodigal son. It's the last part of chapter 15, but I haven't told you the whole story. You see, Jesus told three stories in a row in chapter 15 in your Bible. You need to read this later on. There's three stories in that chapter, chapter 15, that there's different stories about lost things. Jesus starts off talking in chapter 15 about a lost sheep. Now, okay, I don't know if you're an animal lover, uh, we have a dog. I hate our dog. Some of you are like, you are so cruel. I know, I know. I don't feed our dog, water our dog, and if the dog goes away, I'll feel bad for the kids. I'm not an animal lover. I have three kids. One of them still in diapers. I don't need another thing to take care of and be like, oh, no, we got to take care of this animal. We go on vacation. We have to think about this dog that has no emotions or soul. I'm sorry. I'm so insensitive. You're like, you jerk. Meet my wife, you'll like her, then you'll like us again. Don't worry about it. Uh, but we got a dog. I'm not an animal lover. So Jesus starts off chapter 15 talking about lost things. He says, hey, there's this sheep that got lost. I'm like, too bad. Natural selection. I mean, I would love to watch the Discovery Channel and watch what a bear would do to a sheep. That would be fun. That's entertaining to me. So Jesus starts telling his story about lost things, about this one sheep goes away and there's still 99. I'm like, let it go, man. You got 99, enjoy them, right? But Jesus starts telling us, and that there, would have been, there would have been shepherds listening to this conversation. And they're like, ooh, that's a big deal. It would have been kind of personal to them, but there also would have been taxpayers, doctors, stay-at-home moms listening into Jesus' words as he's talking about the significance of a lost sheep. And some of them would be like, oh, I really identify with that. Some would have been like, oh, that's okay, okay. So then Jesus presses in further, makes it more personal, tells a story about a lost coin. Ooh, now we're talking about money. Ooh. That's when some of us perk up like, ooh. I mean, when you lose your wallet, some of you also lose your mind at the very same time. Some of you lose your purse every week and you don't know where it is. Let me help you leave it in the same place every time. You're welcome. That's all you needed. But if you've ever lost your wallet or your purse and you know that your credit cards are somewhere where you're not sure that they're supposed to be, you freak out. You make phone calls. You resolve and preserve your wealth as best as you can. If you lose money, that's where it begins to elevate on how personal it is. So Jesus tells the story of a lost sheep. Who cares? Then he talks about a lost coin. People perk up like, hmm, lost things matter. And then Jesus presses in further and tells a story of a lost family member. Ooh. If someone that you love is lost, that gets personal. See, Jesus never said make it personal without his willingness to make it personal too. I think it's a beautiful chapter in the Bible, Luke 15. He starts off lost, lost, lost. It gets more personal as it progresses. Let me tell you some personal stories. These are Fountain Springs stories about people who have made this personal. They've said, I love Jesus. I accept the forgiveness. Jesus is awesome. I've got to make this personal. So here's how they made it personal. Here's one story. A secretary of one of our local schools 
recently spoke with one of our staff members. With tears in her eyes, she told our staff member that her children were so far from God, but they had a Jesus encounter here at Fountain Springs Church, and their lives are changed. Her husband hasn't been to church in decades. Decades. But now he comes with her. Watch this. He said that he can tell that God is here. Now let me, let me help you with some philosophy or understanding of church. There's over 100 churches in our region. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of churches all throughout the nation. I grew up in the church. I'm a preacher's kid like I told you, but listen to this. Some of you have been to part of a church where you're like, I don't think God was there. So does God not care about that church? Does God care about other churches more? No, listen, listen. God will use a church where people are willing to be used. And you may not like this theologically, but I'm not certain that God will be a part of a church that's unwilling to love everybody. Some of you wonder, you come to this place, you hang around Fountain Springers, you're like, I just feel like God's there. Let me tell you one of the reasons is because in this place, everyone is welcome, and that's a behavior Jesus taught us. Unconditional love. Have you made it personal? Have you made this? Here's a more story. Uh, uh, these last few months, some high school students from Fountain Springs Church are going with Pastor Todd, our student ministries pastor. And they've been going, these high school students, to North Middle School and West Middle School during their lunchtime. See, you must not have high schoolers because you would have gasped. If, let me give you a challenge. Talk to a high schooler and see what they think about middle schoolers. <laughs> They'll probably describe them as, I think they're aliens, I think they're weird, I think they're immature. I just, we have Fountain Springs high schoolers during their lunchtime going over to middle schools during their lunchtimes, and watch this, this is how it's described. They go there just to hang out with the students and let them know that they care. Hurts when a high schooler shows you up, doesn't it? How the high schoolers are making this personal. Oh, there's more, there's more. I'm glad you asked. Here's some more. Recently, at our Celebrate Recovery group at prison, a tough-looking guy, and it goes through, describes him. This guy is huge. It looks like he's got a tattoo on every inch of his body, and he lifts weights 23 hours a day. Like, the guy looks intimidating. It's scary. Just envision that. All of a sudden, they're in group, and, and he begins to unfold a portion of his life. Here's how it goes. I have permission to share this with you, by the way. He begins to unfold that he was a part of some pretty bad things outside of prison. And at one point, some guys put a hit out on his life. They firebombed his house. In his house at that time was his girlfriend and his three-month-old son. His three-month-old son didn't make it out. This man is in prison carrying the guilt of that. Now, here's what's cool. One of our Fountain Springs leaders is there, goes up to him, grabs his hand, puts his hand on his shoulder. Now, don't picture this. Picture this. <laughs> and he says to him, here's what he said. This is so cool. Man, you don't have to carry that guilt. You don't have to carry that. And the guy kind of backs off a little bit. We're in prison. Remember this. 
And the guy repeats himself. The thought springs like, I'm not sure exactly what to say, right? So I'm just gonna repeat myself. So he says, you don't have to carry that. It's not your fault. You don't have to carry that. And he describes the prisoner's eyes tearing up and simply saying thank you. That wouldn't have happened if a fountain springer hadn't made it personal. That wouldn't have happened if we as a church weren't running after people. Have you made it personal? By the way, some of you have a favorite verse in the Bible. It's the most popular verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. Do you know that not only does the prodigal son's story have our core values, unconditional love, irrational generosity, unwavering mission. It's what Jesus taught us through this story, but also if you read John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, gave that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Have you made this personal? Have you made it personal what Jesus did for you? If not, your love is conditional for people. The only way to introduce unconditional love to people is to own what Jesus did for you. The fact that he has set up a privilege, opportunity to have your sins forgiven to be forever with him in heaven. By the way, if you're like, David, I've never made this personal. Like, I've never done this Christian thing, church thing. I've never, like, what do you do? Is there, is there a secret prayer? Is it, what, what, what goes on? No, 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 no. The Bible says just believe that Jesus did what he said he did. Believe what the 500 plus witnesses saw happen. That Jesus died for our sins as a sacrifice and rose from, the, from death save us. Uh, if you wonder, like, well, how do I begin that? Well, it's simple. Start talking to God. Say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for not making this personal. I, I, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me, God. I, I want to make this personal. I give you my life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life dedicated to you, following your ways, learning about you and loving you. But some of you, you prayed a, a prayer like that when you were five or six, and you've already done that and established that, but you've not made it personal for other people. And in fact, I would contend, and this might be the last week I see you, but listen, some of you have resolved that church is coming to a seat and sitting and doing nothing but consuming. I encourage you to make what Jesus has done for you personal. How do you do that? Get into the life of somebody else and show them love. Now, now, I don't know if you're a golfer. I love playing golf uh, whenever I have time, which is never. But when you play golf, you often go to a driving range. If you don't know what a driving range is, it's where you go hit golf balls for a long time. It's not a reason to escape your family, by the way, for those of you doing that. Is you're, just, you're supposed to get better at golf. Well, there are driving ranges in the United States where you go to hit this golf ball one after the other after the other, and there's a machine that literally loads the ball up for you and tees it up for you. It's like golf at its ultimate laziness. You just sit there and, and hit the ball, and then another ball just pops up. And then you hit that ball, and then another one pops up. It's awesome. It's awesome. I want to tee up an opportunity for you to make what Jesus has done for you personal. It's called Easter at the Civic Center. Take a look.
You want to see that again, right? I'm not going to let you right now, but don't worry about it. I mean, here's, if you don't know what Easter at the Civic Center is, let me tell you. Every single Easter, Easter moves around like crazy, but every single year we leave this building on the weekend of Easter and we go worship and have an incredible time at the Civic Center. We, re- we rent the arena out. We rent other spaces out. We do everything that we normally do here on our weekend. There's children's ministry, nursery, all of that is set up, super secure. It's absolutely awesome. My kids wish it was always like that here, like all the time. Like you, Easter is amazing at the Civic Center. I don't know if you've ever been, but you need to go. No, 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 no. I don't want you just to attend. I believe that God has set up a moment for us that's unique. So here's what we've done. Listen, every year we have Easter at the Civic Center on Easter. That makes sense, right? It's on Easter at 9 and 11 on that Sunday. We're adding a service. We're having one on Saturday. So we're gonna have a Saturday service and then one on Sunday, 9 and 11. They're all gonna be the exact same service. Children's ministry often all over the place. Now listen, if this is your church and you will be in town on Easter, you need to serve. You're like, well, this is like my first week, David. I don't care. (laughs) It's time to make it personal, church. It's time to stop celebrating a church that welcomes everybody, and it's time that we participate in it. And you you can celebrate unconditional love and say, that's the way a church should be, but when you and I choose to make it personal and we are that church, that opens up the opportunity for so many people to learn who Jesus is. My prayer this year is that we'll be able to share who Jesus is with over 6,000 people. I think it's possible if you and I make it personal. So if you want to serve, which you're going to serve, if you want to serve, here's a simple thing. If you have the app, our church app, you go on the app, press the go live button, and it'll take you to where you can sign up to serve. If you're running from the government and you don't want them to know you exist and you hate technology, You can go out to the lobby and there's an Easter booth there. You can go on paper and say, hey, I want to serve for Easter. Show me the opportunities of where I can serve for Easter. They'll help you get plugged in that way and roll in. And we as a church will come together in an incredible way at the Civic Center, making it extremely personal. So you need to serve. But also, you need to tell everybody that you know and don't like and like or whoever it is, you need to tell everybody you possibly can. What we're making available for you also are these cards that we give out every year. There are these business cards that talk about the event, that talk about what's going on, is those are out in the lobby as well. You can give those to people, especially people you hate, and, and you can just say, hey, pastor's making me do this, I don't even like you, I hope you don't even go, but here you go, here you go, here you go. Just give it to them. And we as a church have got to make this personal. This isn't about, oh, I sure hope David advertises well for this Easter at the Civic Center. We love going. This year, those of you who love going need to participate. And we own this. And may the whole entire Black Hills region learn who Jesus is. Yeah? I'm, I'm reading the clapping as I'm signing up. Yeah, good. So, so right when you leave, you go sign up. And so I'm not gonna pray a long prayer as we go because I don't wanna distract you from going out and signing up or doing on the app. So God, thank you for letting us gather today. Thank you for letting us breathe today. Thank you for making this personal. God, we love you. Thank you for forgiveness. We're gonna make this personal because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.